Meeting the Crisis with the One World Religion Bible. This is number three in this series. In this tape, we will make a surprising discovery. It is therefore necessary that you listen to tape one and two of this New World Order series before hearing this tape. The two preceding tapes will clearly inform you of the Antichrist power which is developing the United Nations and its ultimate one world religion. Let's begin this tape with a most serious question. If, notice that I said if, if you were Lucifer, who is fully committed to destroy God's true church in order to become the sole ruler of this world and be worshipped as God, tell me, what would be the best attack method to attain such a goal? While you are thinking about this, I'll give you the answer. I believe that Satan would develop a plan whereby he would attempt to make God's defense weapons so defective that they would be useless. I also believe and trust that you will agree with me that the most powerful defense weapon God has given to his followers is the Word of God as described in Ephesians 6.17. I quote, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus, our mighty captain, demonstrated for us how to use this weapon when he overcame Satan by quoting scripture. It is written, thereby defeating the devil. Now that you have your thinking cap in operation, Suppose that Satan should change the scriptures, making them defective by inserting words never inspired by God or by deleting inspired words so that you could no longer discern truth from error. In this way, you could be fooled unknowingly to worship the dragon and wonder after the beast. Now I immediately hear someone say, why Elder Nelson, have you lost your marbles? Don't you know that God's word never changes? That God will see to that? True, true, very true. But in this warfare between God and Satan, this does not stop the devil from introducing false versions of the scriptures in such a cunning manner that millions are fooled to accept such versions as the very word of God, believing them to be genuine. Since you are honest, you will agree with me that what I have suggested is plausible and possible. May the Holy Spirit help us to see that this is actually taking place as the Antichrist prepares the way for a one-world religion Bible. And please, one more question. Could it be possible that a few apostate leaders within God's true church are promoting false versions of the scripture that will cause many within the Adventist church to accept the coming one world religion? Before we explore this possibility, let us pray for heavenly guidance. O loving Father, as we all will soon have to meet this coming gigantic system of false religion the masterpiece of Satan's power. Please help us in these final hours to be able to differentiate between thy holy scriptures and the counterfeit. 
This we ask in the name of thy beloved Son, Jesus. Amen. Let us first look at the warning God has given regarding changing his word. In Revelation 22, verses 18 to 20, I read, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book." Unquote. Now the question, why do you suppose God gave such a warning to anyone who would attempt to change his word? Because he knew that in the last days men led by Satan would produce a counterfeit to his word. The NIV, the New International Version, and the New American Standard Version, together with the Living Bible and a host of other versions, have been produced as a direct result of chief conspirators of the New Age movement working together with the United Nations and the New World Order to produce a one world religion. And before we conclude this study, we will discuss the corrupt manuscripts chosen to eventually produce a Bible acceptable to all religions of the world. It is the aim of the spiritualistic power that the new versions being printed each year by year will infiltrate the evangelical churches so that their members will accept such a false Bible. By changing the words of God, they can change doctrines and eventually make it possible for a one-world apostate church which has accepted the Antichrist, his mark, image, and who worship Lucifer. Now that may sound a bit impossible, but let me quote from the chief editor of the NIV Bible who supervised its development. Please notice the satanic plan of destroying your faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you are listening. I quote, This NIV shows the great error that regeneration depends upon faith and that in order to be born again, man must first accept Jesus as Savior. End of quote. What an amazing admission of the real purpose of developing the NIV version coming from the pen of its editor. You will find this quotation in the book by author Westcott, The Life and Letters of Westcott, Volume 2, published by London Macmillan and Company, 1903, page. Let's make sure that we understand this quotation correctly. The purpose of the NIV version is to show that regeneration does not depend upon faith and that you do not have to accept Jesus as your Savior to be born again. Heaven forbid! What a devilish plan! 
for God's word plainly teaches in Acts, the fourth chapter and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, unquote. This is why the NIV version has removed so many decisive texts which state that we should worship God. Let me give you an example. I read from the King James Version in Philippians 3, verse 3, quote, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Now, there can be no question as to whom we should worship. It is the eternal God. But the NIV version, as well as others, omit the word God. Why? So the reader may choose for himself who is to be worshipped in the spirit, be it Mother Earth, some dumb idol, or Jesus Christ, or even the devil. By deleting God from the NIV version has weakened the scriptures. This is why the scripture warned, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word. Mark 4, 15. Here is a perfect example of the development of the NIV to prepare for a Bible that will be acceptable to all religions. But the NIV version not only has deleted thousands of such inspired words, but has also added words not found in the Holy Scripture. But before we proceed, let us stop here to clearly understand why such changes are being made in God's Word. What is actually taking place is a semantic revolution. The word semantic means to change, change the meaning of words. And this is taking place both in the Western Christian religions and also in the pagan religions of the East. Both are using this revolutionary bridge to form spiritual Babylon described in Revelation 18. Let me speak plainly. The New Age occult are working through the United Nations, as discussed in tape number one and two of this series, to make Christian terminology acceptable to the Eastern mystics, and at the same time, the pagan priests of Oriental religions are changing the names of their gods from Buddha, Krishna, and Lucifer to the Christian names such as the Lord, the Christ, and the One. Even occult initiations today are called by Christian terms such as a baptism, and the way to God. How amazing! Thus, when such words are read in these new versions, the pagans can say they refer to their pagan God and not to Jesus Christ. The New Age Dictionary by Alex Jacks gives definition of occult beliefs which are compatible to the NIV version. For example, the Holy Spirit, which we know to be the third person of the Godhead, is often translated in the NIV as the Spirit. Thus, by deleting the inspired word holy, the word spirit alone becomes acceptable to the occult as man's spirit. By deleting the name Jesus from Christ, the name Christ alone can be accepted by the pagans as the name of their gods. By deleting Jehovah in connection with 
the Lord, the word Lord alone can refer to any pagan god. And consider this. In the NIV, the name Lucifer has been changed to the morning star. And that's unbelievable. For any Bible student knows that the term morning star refers only to Jesus Christ. Giving this name to any other, and especially to Satan, is sacrilegious. I believe you are beginning to see the purpose of the NIV. As the chief editor states, it is to teach that you do not have to accept Jesus Christ to be saved. How amazing. And just think how many Seventh-day Adventists use the NIV as their Bible. Let's review this once more. In the NIV, Lucifer is now called the Morning Star. The words Jesus Christ and Jehovah are changed to the Lord, the name given to pagan gods. The Holy One of Israel becomes the One. That's acceptable to the pagans for the name of their God. The Godhead has been changed to a divine being, which is the term used for the New Age gods. If you are honest, you will admit that the NIV versions endorse what God's holy men explicitly opposed. This version and others is the beginning in preparing for coming new versions that will finally produce a Bible totally acceptable to all religions except God's true church. Clearly, the ultimate goal of the New World Order is unity at any cost. Should you still have a doubt, let me further illustrate, and I'll give only four texts from the NIV, the New International Version, but keep in mind there are hundreds more. The texts are Luke 24, 36, Matthew 4, 18, Mark 2, 15, and Mark 10, 52. The name Jesus has been omitted and replaced with the word, the pronoun he. This opens the door to the question, who is he? Jesus Christ or Lucifer? Again, the words, the kingdom of God in Matthew 6, 33 is changed to his kingdom. To the non-Christian, this is acceptable, for it could mean Satan's kingdom. When you compare the King James Version with the New International Version and the New Age Luciferian teachings, you will see that the NIV and the New Age Luciferian match word for word. Here is an example. I'll give the King James Version first followed by the NIV, and then the New Age. God's Word says, the Holy One. Both the NIV and the Luciferian state, the One. God's Word says, the Holy Spirit. Both the NIV and the Luciferian state, the Spirit. God's Word says, the Lord Jehovah. Both the NIV and the Luciferian state, the Lord. God's Word says, Our Father. Both the NIV and the Luciferian state, the Father. God's Word says, The Lord Jesus Christ. Both the NIV and the Luciferian state, the Christ. God's Word says, God. Both the NIV and the Luciferian state, a God. I'm sure you are noticing the difference. When God speaks in his original manuscript through the inspiration, it's absolute. But when man speaks in the NIV and other versions, 
you are left with the question, what spirit? Which Lord? Whose Father? Or what God? In the book, The Luciferian Connection, page 145, and I quote, most New Agers, however, teach that the new will overcome the old by a gentle process of ecumenical unity and absorption of the religions into one another. The New World religion will contain all the common elements of all religions." Unquote. We need to pause here to clarify how these many new versions have come into existence. We shall see that Romanism has been able to enter the very arsenal of Protestantism and change the very words of God with a corrupt Bible. The Protestant Reformation was based on manuscripts which are called the Received or Majority Greek Text. The Roman Catholic religion was founded on spurious Greek New Testament manuscripts known as the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus. For years, the Jesuits and other scholarly orders tried to disprove the received text of Protestantism, but they failed until the second half of the 19th century. The following has been gleaned from the Rosenwald publications. I quote, Attempts to replace Protestant Bibles with Catholic ones, such as when the English were presented with the Douay Bible in the late 16th century, had failed. But would it now be at all possible to co-opt Protestants themselves in an attempt to have them destroy their own Bible? In the past, many a Church of England cleric had been induced to turn traitor. Why not now? End of quote. That was taken from The Dismantling of Adventism by H. H. Myers, page 11. How sad, for this devilish plan was to succeed. The received text, which was referred to as the Protestant Bible, during the period of the Reformation included the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament majority Greek texts, which had circulated throughout the world. But in the mid-19th century, there were two English Anglican scholars, Drs. B.F. Westcott and F.J.A. Hort. One was a priest the other was aspiring to be a priest, and both had strong leanings toward Rome. For whatever personal reasons, Westcott and Hort took part in a New Testament scheme proposed by their publisher, Daniel Macmillan. Hort referred to the majority Greek text as villainous and vile. Westcott declared, I am most anxious to get something to replace them. End of quote. That is taken from Ripplinger, the New Age Bible Versions, page 430. Gail Ripplinger, a Baptist, is an authority on the changes that have been made in the modern versions of the Bible and how these changes came about. Her book, The New Age Bible Versions, was printed in 1993. Passages from her book will be identified. I continue. Westcott and Hort declarations clearly reveal their deep hatred of the majority Greek manuscripts upon which the Protestant Bibles were based, including the King James Version. 
With such an attitude, it is not at all surprising that they chose the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus manuscripts on which to base their new Greek text. For many years, the Vaticanus had been stored in the Vatican. It was known as the Catholic Bible. When the large group of scholars who translated the King James Bible inspected these manuscripts, they utterly refused to use them in their work because they were so filled with gross error. Thus it was that in 1853, Westcott and Hort started what was to become almost 30 years of involvement in this secret project. As they were getting started, Westcott admits the drastic changes he plans and calls it our proposed recension of the New Testament. Ripplinger, page 619. We will briefly mention some of the personal habits practices, and beliefs of Westcott and Hort. Ripplinger, in her book, gives documentation which shows that Westcott and Hort habitually used spiritous liquors during the time they were writing their New Testament Greek Bible. In some of their written comments on their work, they freely mixed in comments about their own drinking habits. In addition to this, they practiced various forms of spiritualism. Are you listening? Furthermore, Hort did not even believe in the infallibility of the New Testament. For he stated, if you make a decided conviction of the absolute infallibility of the New Testament, I fear I could not join you. Hort, Volume 1, page 420. Ripplinger, page 622. After Westcott and Hort had worked alone secretly for about 17 years, in 1870, a committee was chosen in England to rewrite the Greek New Testament. Beside Westcott and Hort and others, now please pay attention, Three Catholics were chosen to serve on the committee, including Cardinal Newman. Ripplinger writes on page 425, the liberalism of the members was evident in their approval of Westcott and Hort's substitution of the readings in the Vatican's Greek manuscript, Vaticanus for the original Greek. Doctors Mobley, Pousset, and Newman were invited to join, all three emissaries of the Roman Catholic Church. Member Dean Stanley believed, as did Westcott and Hort, that the Word of God was also in the books of the other world religions. Did you hear that? Please turn the tape over. Newman had been a prominent Anglican priest, but a few years earlier he had apostatized from Protestantism and joined the Roman Catholic Church. For this defection, the Pope eventually made him a cardinal of the Roman Church. I hope that as you see the plot thicken, that you are beginning to see how the papacy has developed these new versions. I continue. We go back in time in order to understand what occurred in 1847 at the Vatican. Myers explains on page 16. Following his open defection to Roman Catholicism, Cardinal John H. Newman, formerly a cleric of the Church of England, and founder of the Oxford Movement in 1833, was invited to revisit the Vatican. While there, he disclosed some details of his mission in a letter dated January 17, 
1847, to his fellow traitor, Nicholas P. Wiseman. Referring to a request made by a senior member of the congregation of the index, he quotes, that we should take the Protestant translation, correct it by the Vulgate, that's the Catholic Bible, and get it sanctioned here. This might be our first work if your lordship approved of it. If we undertook it, I should try to get a number of persons at work, not merely of our own party. First, it should be overseen and corrected by ourselves. Then it should go to a few select revisers. For instance, Dr. Tate of Ushaw and Dr. Witte of St. Edmunds, who was a Jesuit. That's found in Ward, Life of Wiseman, Volume 1, page 454. And now hear this, I quote, The plan to write a new Greek Testament was actually contrived in the Vatican with Cardinal Newman in attendance. According to their instructions from the Vatican, these schemers were to take the Protestant translation, correct it by the Vulgate, and then get it sanctioned here, that is, at the Vatican, before publication. What an eye-opener! It took about ten years for the committee to complete the project. It was to be published in 1881, together with the English Revised Version, which was also translated by the committee. Myers reveals on page 19 and 20, and I quote, Yet a few weeks earlier, when it was evident that the revision should soon be an accomplished fact, Cardinal Wiseman could scarcely contain his exuberance. He explained, We cannot but rejoice in the silent triumph which truth has at length gained over clamorous error. For in fact, the principal writers who have avenged the Vulgate and obtained for it its critical preeminence are Protestants. That's taken from Wiseman Essays, Volume 1, page 104. Now here is indisputable evidence that although the revisers worked in great secrecy, Wiseman, the primate of the Catholic Church in England, was privy to the subterfuge. He and Newman had carried out the instructions given to them by the Vatican to the very letter. Instead of a revision of the King James Version, the English Protestants had been presented with a Bible that had been corrected by the Vulgate. Having worked in secret, Westcott and Hort, when placed upon the committee, did not reveal to anyone that they already had a new Greek Testament almost finished. The committee chose their work should also be done in secret. They feared that what they were doing, if made public, would be criticized. This would hinder their work. Westcott wrote that much evil would result from a public discussion. Westcott, Volume 1, page 229. And sure enough, when it was published in 1881, criticism was abundant. On page 432, Ripplinger writes, and I quote, This change in the standard Greek New Testament was very newsworthy upon its publication. Scholars of that time called it strongly radical and revolutionary, deviating the furthest possible from the received text, a violent recoil from the traditional Greek text, the most vicious recension of the original Greek in existence, a seriously mutilated and otherwise grossly depraved new Greek text. They further yielded the passages in dispute 
are of great importance. On page 433, Ripplinger continues the subject, and I quote, John Bergen, who was Dean of Westminster and the preeminent Greek textual scholar of the day, said, for the Greek text which they have invented proves to be hopelessly depraved throughout. It was deliberately invented. The underlying Greek is an entirely new thing. It is a manufactured article throughout. The new Greek text is utterly inadmissible. Proposing to inquire into the merits of the recent revision of the Bible, we speedily become aware that the underlying Greek text had been completely refashioned throughout. It was not so much a new version as a new Greek text. The new Greek text was full of errors from beginning to end, had been constructed throughout. I continue. It was no part of your instructions to invent a new Greek text or indeed to meddle with the original Greek at all. By your own confession, you and your colleagues knew yourselves to be incompetent. Shame on those most incompetent men who, finding themselves in an evil hour, occupied themselves with falsifying the inspired Greek text. Who will venture to predict the amount of mischief which must follow if the new Greek text should become used? End quote. How sad, for their new Greek text did indeed become accepted into use, and the amount of mischief it has wrought cannot be calculated. Adventist readers of the new versions translated from the new Greek text should carefully reread John Bergen's analysis of the New Greek Testament so that they will realize what they are actually reading are versions approved by the Vatican. Ripplinger emphasizes on her page 431 how deliberate their New Testament scheme was when she cites that in the book of Luke which contains about 1,000 verses, they made 1,000 changes. They made about 6,000 such changes in the New Testament. That is, when compared to the original Greek, the majority text. Surprisingly, however, sad to say, in a decade or two, the Westcott and Hort New Testament was accepted by Protestants and Catholics alike as the Greek Testament to be used. Sorrowfully, even the Seventh-day Adventist Church accepted it very early and began to promote its use. It is being used and has been used for many years now in our colleges and universities as a textbook. Thus our church has approved corrupting the incorruptible. But the Apostle Peter has assured us that the Word of God was incorruptible. First Peter 1, and I quote, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Let us praise God that the King James Bible itself has not been corrupted by Westcott and Hort. God has watched over and protected his word. The true Bible will live and abide in spite of the mischief of these wicked men. With very few exceptions, all of the new Bible versions that are flooding the market are translated from the Westcott and Hort New Greek text. Ripplinger comments, 
In addition to the errors found in the new Greek text, individual publishers have felt free to make further changes in order to make their particular Bible versions acceptable to the various religions of the world. Also, in order to obtain a copyright, it is required that there be a certain number of changes. Therefore, while the modern versions are basically all unreliable, some are even worse than others. Besides making their translations from the Greek New Testament text, having 6,000 changes made by Westcott and Hort and their committee, many additional changes are being made. To illustrate, at the same time that the new corrupted Greek text was published in 1881, the same committee also published the English Revised Standard Version of the Bible. While there are 6,000 changes in the Greek New Testament text, when compared to the majority text, there are 36,000 changes made in the Revised Standard Version that differ from the King James. Now we have a clear picture of Satan's attempt to change God's Word. This has helped us to comprehend how the papacy has been able to actually corrupt the Protestant Bible with these many new versions which are totally based on the counterfeit new Greek text produced by Westcott and Hort and the corrupted Vatican manuscript. This has now made it possible for the United Nations, the political arm of the papacy, to eventually produce a counterfeit Bible acceptable to all religions, be they pagan, papal, Protestant, occultist, Jewish, or Muslim. Now let us recap what we have learned from this presentation. First and foremost, the King James Version is the only version not corrupted by Westcott and Hort and the Vatican manuscripts. Let us make this our only Bible to study God's Word. Amen? Second, number one, we have seen the master plan of Lucifer to prepare for a one-world government controlled by a one-world religion. Two, many years ago, this began by Westcott and Hort, who invented a new Greek text based on the Vatican corrupt manuscripts. Three, these men personally testified that they did not even believe the Bible to be inspired by God, and still worse, they believed all religions, even the pagans, contained God's word. Number four, the papacy actually directed the development of a new version which they manipulated to agree with their Catholic Bible. Five, the United Nations aims for a corrupted Bible so completely changed by somatics that all religions of the world will be able to use it to teach their false doctrines, making possible a one world church of Babylon found in Revelation 18. Six, it is Satan's plan to so obliterate God's word with these false versions that when he appears in the counterfeit coming of Christ, the whole world will worship him. Oh, how careful we should be as a church and as individuals not to partake of the spirit of the Antichrist. Very soon the papacy will reveal its true identity through the new world religion. Before the real second coming of Jesus, the deadly wound inflicted upon the papacy in 1798 will be fully healed. The papacy will emerge to rule the world with an iron hand as it did during the Dark Ages. Except for God's true people, the United Nations and all churches, including 
professed Sabbath keepers who are unfaithful to their profession as well as the governments of the world will be the servants of the beast ready to do his bidding. The wicked are not the only group that are gathering. God's true people are standing not under the banner of the beast and his image but under the banner of the king of kings protected and empowered by God his people will boldly proclaim the loud cry to the world they will clearly present the Sabbath Sunday issue and proclaim the warning of the third angel with a loud voice they will also call to the people of the world to come out of her my people will you and I be prepared to stand under the banner of King Jesus if so we must awaken now and get ready for soon Jesus will arise in the heavens above to come to the earth as King of Kings at that time the righteous will be taken to their new home in heaven praise God what will happen though to the wicked who have gathered to battle against God Almighty their sad ending is presented in Revelation 19 verses 19 to 21 I read I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh." Unquote. Why should I speak such a strong message as this to God's people today? Because we have been commissioned to do so. In Isaiah 58.1, we have been instructed to cry to God's people today with a loud voice. I quote, Cry aloud, spare not, Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Isaiah 58.1 Let us heed the following sermon delivered by Mrs. E.G. White. I quote, Brethren and sisters, she admonished, we had better come to our senses now without delay we had better cry for the vitalizing power of God to come upon us and cure us of our spiritual paralysis. And unless there is a thorough arousing and you begin to cry unto God and change your course of action, you will be rated either with the unbeliever or you will be in that position that you have a name to live while you are dead and your influence in the world is a living curse just because of your profession you lead people into the road to death and hell and the account that God is to settle with you in the judgment you will not want the court to meet for it decides your case forever Ellen White continues we are here for a purpose here are souls to be saved. There is a voice to be raised among the people of God. Cry aloud, spare not. Why? What is it? What is the matter? Show my people. Oh, it's God's professed people, is it? Their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. Isaiah 58.1 taken from Sermons and Talks, Volume 1, page 176. Oh, friend, it's almost time for the Lord to come, 
and the New World Order of the United Nations is preparing for a counterfeit coming of Christ. Shouldn't we be preparing for the genuine coming of the King of Kings, our Lord and Savior? Let us not shirk either our own preparation or our duty toward others. Let us pray. Dear God, may we have the courage to completely separate from Satan's apostate church of Revelation 18 and use only the King James Version in our study in preparation for thy coming. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Like the woman at the well I was seeking For things that could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my well that never shall run up, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this thirsting of my soul, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more, If the things this world gave you Leave hungers that won't pass away My blessed Lord will come and save you If you kneel to him and humbly Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up.